You don't see me wiping asses on my days off because she's... Hello and welcome back to episode 17 of the Double Reel Film Podcast. This is the second reel of our monthly magazine-style podcast for film nerds. Hopefully you've caught up with the first reel, had a brief intermission, and refueled ready to take on this mighty second installment of Nerdy Film Chat. If you haven't caught the first reel yet, please do go back to your app and download and listen to it so you're up to date with all the features we've covered already this month. These include our roundup of news and spotlight on some of the films we watched this month, our classic and recommended feature on My Cousin Vinny, our hidden gem Troll Hunter, the one that got away about Michael Mann's Gates of Fire, and our remake Hate Watch of Rebecca. Now in Reel 2, we bring you our big conversation where we tackle a weighty topic and give it a fuller, i.e. longer, discussion. Joining me as always is my co-host, James Adamson. Welcome, James. Hello, everyone. Uh, glad to be back. Um, fresh off a, a bizarre trip to Perth. So, yeah, it's actually nice to be back to normal. I never thought I'd say that. Excellent. So the topic for this month's big conversation is the worst films by the best directors. And by the best directors, it's a, a short list that we've handpicked among our favorite directors. And the idea behind this is that we thought it would be interesting to look at directors that we love or think are brilliantly talented, but instead of their best films, look at their worst films and, and why they got it wrong, even though we know they're very good. Um, what do these sort of worst films tell us about the directors? Is it a case of it's just not very good by a really good directors, very high standards, Maybe it's just one they got horribly wrong. They had a just terrible bad day at the office, and it's interesting to see why. Maybe they're an inconsistent director, and you know they're a bit up and down, and it makes you wonder why they get it so right sometimes, and then screw it up at other times. Um, so it's just a way of looking at it because you know everyone can look at the best director and see their best film and go, well, that's why you know that's why they're a good director. It's just uh, flipping it over and having a look at it from a different angle. Um, so James and I have agreed a list of directors beforehand that we're going to look at. Um, uh, but we haven't agreed beforehand which films we're going to discuss. So, you know, we might nominate different worst films by these directors, and that may form uh, part of the discussion. We've also had some messages from listeners uh, on this topic, which I may chuck in from time to time. But our list of six directors that we're looking at, uh, at covering today are uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, Ridley Scott, and Christopher Nolan. So, James, did you did, did you want to start anywhere in particular from that list? Uh, I wanted to start with the honourable mention for good directors that we didn't put on this list. So f- yeah, the sure. main one was David Fincher because we we kind of looked at his films and thought there isn't really a film on there that was kind of universally hated by David Fincher. Or not universally hated, but yeah. caused as much controversy. I think everyone agrees that most of I think every single David Fincher film has received some praise. There's sometimes films that he makes that not p- people aren't interested in, like Curious Case of Benjamin yeah. Button or maybe even The Social Network, but we didn't put him on this list, even though he's one of the top directors going. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's I, I can't see a bad film on his list of films, but what I do see sometimes are films that I just don't fancy because it's not a subject that I'm interested in, because he makes yeah. the films he wants to make. Uh, it's not always a story I want to do. I mean, Benjamin Button's a classic example of that. I mean, some people might say that Alien Three is an example of David Fincher making a bad film, but a his film, yeah. I bit, I, I sort of defend that film a little bit because in its, you know, in its, in its, you know, in its best version, it's still quite good. And secondly, as you say, it's not his film. He came in to rescue something that was going to, you know, collapse. And you know, the fact that they've got a finished film that that works at all is 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 credit to him. So it shouldn't be a film that you hold up to sort of beat him over the head with, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but yes. Yeah, so any other any other um, honourable mentions? That I don't you think that was to... the only one because we we were going to have. I said we'd be doing a list of five or ten. You said five, and then we ended up. We kind of thought, who are we going to wedge in? Because we should probably have we we wanted to put in Coppola because Coppola's had some fucking stinkers, and he's also had some yeah. fucking masterpieces. But yeah. he's probably the best example of um, how do they get it so right and get it so wrong. Um, yeah. But no, I couldn't think of anyone that we wanted to. Yeah, we couldn't get it down to five, could we? In the end, it, it, it finished yeah. off being six. Six, so just so it yeah. kind of covered all bases. Um, um, yeah, we tried to go for directors who, although Coppola has not made a film for ages, you know, he's... You know he's still alive. Is kind of the way we sort of, we've not had anyone. If you yeah, if you look at his filmography, he is coming out with films, but they're just not showing up on anyone's radar. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, that that's it. An honourable mention for for David Fincher. I completely agree. You could pick one of his films as his least good film, but it's not really what we're trying to do here, is it? Uh, yeah, precisely. Um, so yeah, who okay, should we start? So with? Fr- fr- from our six, who do you fancy? Who do you want to start with? Do you want to start with Coppola, seeing as how you mentioned him? Yeah, we'll go with him. So yeah, so what what would be your nomination for Francis Ford Coppola's worst film? Oh, it's Jack. Without a fucking shadow of a doubt, it's Jack. It's yeah, I I, I agree. It's Jack. It's terrible. What I mean, the f- fuck happened there? Because all of his films seem to have a kind of gritty edginess, and then like all the films, sorry, all the films I've seen of his because I can't speak for them, but you know the ones like obviously mm-hmm. The Godfather, and then you've got um, Apocalypse Now. Um, I'm missing one. Is it the conversation the yeah the one i'm thinking of all these films are you know they were just so different to what people were watching at the time they were just so hardcore yeah. and they were just fucking good films apocalypse now is probably my favorite ford coppola film same and then what the fuck what the fuck was jack it, it's yeah i mean it's interesting because coppola in the 90s was going through this period where he was basically a gun for hire he was looking around for a, you know a decent opportunity to to make something, show that he could still do it, you know, uh, you know, make a bit of money for a film, and then and just essentially get a bit back on track, really, because he got really badly off track. Now, now Coppola had this amazing period that he's never ever equaled since, from 1969 to 1979. He did a couple of quite good films before that, showed a bit of promise. A director film called The Rain People, which isn't really mentioned among his best now, but everyone loved it when it came out. It was a big success. And then, and then he had this phenomenal run where he wrote the script for Patton but didn't direct it, won the Oscar for Best Screenplay. And then Godfather, The Conversation, Godfather 2, and Apocalypse Now. And, and that run of films is, is just unparalleled. Um, there is just, you know, there are other people you might argue ruled the 70s better than him, like William Friedkin. Obviously, Spielberg changed the world with the films that he made in the 70s. But nobody, you know, he's really at the top as far as the 70s are concerned. And I think the rot set in with Apocalypse Now because he that took too long and cost too much money and everyone nearly lost their mind, but he got away with it. And it's a great film. It's my favourite uh, film, but he didn't learn his lesson. And in the 80s, he he went off and tried all sorts of shit that didn't work. And I think he, he just he got a reputation for being, you know, uh, too overambitious, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, almost, almost like, you know, mad with some of the things that he would attempt. And then by the 90s, he's just casting around for someone to do. And he took Jack Jack because it was a job. But, I mean, a heartwarming family film that's got Robin Williams playing a an overgrown child, it's not it Coppola, is it? It wasn't that heartwarming. It was just, it was like... Sh- no, that was, it, was a t- it was attempted heartwarming, it but it's just, it's, it was, everything's wrong it about like it. It was like not funny comedy with kind of some, you know, tragedy in it. It was, it was just fucking crap. 
But the yeah, and, thing and, about and, it is that the year after he made the Rainmaker, which although I've not seen, it's not it wasn't panned the way Jack was panned. It was actually looked on rather favourably. It's a, it, it, that's a decent adaptation. I think I think it was just the rotted set in, and although the although the Rainmaker is actually one of the better John Grisham adaptations, he was a bit unlucky with his timing on that one. People got a bit tired of all the John Grisham adaptations because there'd been this run one after the other of big John Grisham book, big John Grisham film, and although he did a nice job. Um, you know that the, the public sort of stayed away, which is which is a shame. But Jack is just Jack is just misjudged on every level because here's the other thing, right? I mean, if you're going to pick your favourite um, Robin Williams performance, which one would you pick? Oh, I really enjoyed Good Morning Vietnam, The Fisher yeah. King. He is very Fisher good. King's amazing. He's very Fisher good King's in, amazing. He's very good in Mrs. Doubtfire. He's very good in Goodwill Hunting. He's very good in Aladdin. He was he was good in almost everything he was in. Robin Williams is a very talented man. Um, yeah, I, I tend I tend to agree that. But the thing is, right? Every every actor who's you know got any say in the roles that he does, and every filmmaker who's got a say in the films that they make, has a. In my opinion, some of them have a uh, a tendency that shouldn't be indulged, and and Robin Williams does have this tendency towards sentimentality, which, you know, in the right role. I mean, Good Morning Vietnam or Mrs. Doubtfire, it, it does kind of tug on the heartstrings and it's funny and the, the balance is right. But left to his own devices, he'll do some shit like Patch Adams or this. And you don't want him to do that. You want him to do what he's, what he's really best yeah, at. Yeah. A fantastic actor. And, you know, I'm somewhere between The Fisher King, maybe uh, Good Morning Vietnam, maybe, or Insomnia or, or One Hour Photo, where you suddenly see Robin Williams playing this kind of quite fucking creepy, scary character. And I, I wanted to see him do more of that. And I think at this point you're just going, oh come on, all right, that you're getting in touch with the child inside Robin enough already. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I would probably probably go for Goodwill Hunting, um, if I had to pick one. But any of the any of the ones we've mentioned are he's he's very very good at performances which deal with trauma in some way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's, he was he was like Fish. The Fisher King's a great example of that. Um, and but Jack is just like oh, it's just you know it's just too much of the spoonful of sugar to get the medicine down and it's just no 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 please no and it's like getting him to play a 10 year old and it's it was just you rubbish know. It, was, uh, mm. it was just it had been done eight years earlier with big and it was done yeah better even though big just a, a bit shit and nobody remembers it. they remember the best tom hanks performances but it was that was like a fun film that was like oh the, how the funny big would it be is, big is really good for what it is and i think tom hanks was just perfect for that role but it was also written and directed the, the right way to make that yeah. story work Do you know what i mean because you're on a, with any of these things are on a bit of a fine line if you get it wrong it makes people want to throw up and that's exactly what you got with jack mm. I mean, in, t- in terms of you know other uh, nominations, I mean, I'm, I'm unanimous with you that it's Jack. I mean, I, I mean, we had a listener comment that Coppola's you know w- you know f- film they hate the most is Godfather Three. That's not um, shit as Jack though. Well, I agree. It's, uh, one hundred percent agree. The, the problem is that Godfather One and Two are so strong. I think Godfather. That's 2 is it. It's it's it's, it's how much of a come down it is after the first one, you know, and it's really it's just let down by some poor casting and and they didn't quite get the story right when it could have been amazing. And I think that's that's disappointment talking. Um, yeah. The only other nominations you would get are this isn't actually a bad film, but one from the heart is, a, is an example of why Coppola fucked up and was doing films like Jack because it started out as a romantic fantasy with a two million budget, and Coppola was coming off Apocalypse Now, thought nothing could stop him um, apart from Green Kryptonite, 
uh, and decided he was going to make it into a $23 million film, which is quite a lot back then. But for no reason, he just built bigger, wilder, crazier sets and did bigger fantasy sequences. And it's the same film, but 10 times as expensive. And not surprisingly, it flopped. Um, and it's just, that's why Coppola, you know, Coppola at his best is, is you know, the Godfather or, you know, it, you know, just about at his best on Apocalypse Now. And, he, and he, he, you know, apart from going mad in the jungle, he did come away with an amazing film. But when he, when he goes off on one, the films are... Just disappear, disappears up his own ass a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I think I think we're agreed on Coppola, and, and that's Jack. Are we so? Are we doing their best film as well? Or are we just picking the worst film? Coppola. I mean, I think it's. I think we're both unanimous that our favourite film of his is Apocalypse Now. Isn't yeah, it? it's Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Okay. So, did you want to pick someone else next off the list? Um, let's go for Scorsese. Yeah, this could be. A matter for some debate, actually. Who, who would you nominate? Oh, who would I nominate? Things I think no, Hugo was fucking shit. Is that is that your nomination for his worst film of yours? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm missing one because he's that's how how high the standard of his work has been. That Hugo was kind of well liked by everyone. I just thought it was fucking wet. I thought it was a bit pathetic as a film. I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I think on our list, Scorsese is one of the most consistent light directors. Um, and I mean, I, I didn't mind Hugo. It doesn't quite, considering it's meant to be like a love letter to the cinema. It doesn't quite, um, doesn't quite take off the way it's meant to. I think. Um, but um, I think New York, New York is his is his worst film. Okay. Um, this is the film he made in between Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, and uh, it. it it's it's something that he loves, and you know, look, directors are often they find it harder to be objective about stuff they love, right? And it was about the um, about the big band era. It's about music. We know how much school says he loves music, and it's about Liza Minnelli as a big band singer from like the forties and post war period, um, and her you know her career and her relationship with Robert De Niro's uh, saxophone player in the band, and they have this tumultuous relationship, and it tells you about the relationship with those two characters, but also the the music in that era. Um, it's got the potential to be classic Scorsese, but it's too long. It was more expensive than it needed to be for no reason. And Robert De Niro's character was just super unsympathetic and it, it fell at the box office, got quite bad reviews. Um, you can actually watch it and really enjoy a lot of the musical sequences and stuff, but it's, it's a fucking heavy going watch, you know? Yeah, I, I've I've not seen it. The only film that I would say, I mean, I didn't think Shutter Island was all that. Um, I think it worked as a film, you know, in terms of getting you from A to B. But it's not one that jumps out at me as going, "Oh yeah, I'd love to rewatch that." Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've watched it one and a half times. I couldn't be asked with it the second time. That was a bit of a weak kind of. It, it's it's very it's very cleverly made, and obviously all the people involved are, are you know good at what they do. You know, Mark Ruffalo, Leonardo DiCaprio, that. You know, directed by Scorsese, it would be hard for them to do a shit film, right? But yeah, Shutter Island is like, yeah, didn't uh, you know? I get think my, out uh, of all the directors on this list, though, I think Scorsese's got one of the strongest filmographies. Yeah, I think he's got a very, very strong CV. I mean, in terms of listener comments, a few people agreed with New York, New York. Um, a couple of people said The Irishman. Um, I think The Irishman's good. Um, I just think it's like uh, it felt like like he was repeating himself a little bit. And um, so one person said bringing out the dead, which is a little bit harsh. It's not a, 
it's not super enjoyable and it certainly wasn't a success at the time but it's not a bad film but i mean you know we're, we're casting around for in a lot of ways for scorsese's least bad film because there's not really been many times where people look at scorsese's career and go you really dropped the ball on that one do you know what i mean i mean he's some of his films have flopped financially but strong cv yeah definitely um it's i don't think i also don't think if a film fails financially that you can necessarily see it's a it's a bad film there's plenty of films that haven't made a lot of money back but i think that's just the, the way it goes you know what the yeah. irishman i've not I, it's not actually a bad film i just hate the cgi thing and that might have to just that might bring it down a level because just yeah get older actors or get young. old get older actors get younger actors it's not just that's I think not even a bad film. It's just go, shit. go fuck yourself with that shit. Stop spending. Yeah. Stop complaining about people staying at home and watching Netflix and then getting Netflix to make you that film. Yeah, mm. the Irishman just because he was a prick. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. T- t- tend to agree. I mean, that that, that would be at my, my lower end as well if I was doing his. What's your, what's your favourite Scorsese film? Hmm. <sighs> oh. It's probably going to be quite a left field one. I, mm, I really like Raging Bull, but yeah, I mean it's I, a hard watch. I've got a brilliant. real soft spot for Gangs of New York, but that's, yeah, I like that is never mentioned as one of his best. It probably isn't his best. I just have a real soft spot for it. Um, mm-hmm. Taxi Driver is good. Mean Streets is good. Um, I've got I've got a real soft spot for some of the, the the films he's done that are less typical Scorsese, like The Last Temptation of Christ is a, a an amazing film. Yeah. Um, uh, After Hours, I think maybe my favourite Scorsese film is The King of Comedy. That's a very good film because it's like the flip side to Taxi Driver. It's basically a similar plot engine to Taxi Driver, but instead of like a a lone gunman who's going to kill people, he's like a, a nerdier version of that. Who who is on the outside of society and ends up, you know, yeah, you know, getting the authorities involved in kidnapping someone, but just just so he can have a ten minute slot as a comedian on TV is genius. And without and without the King of Comedy Joker, the what wouldn't exist the, uh, the the Joaquin Phoenix version. Yeah, which is also a very good film. Um, yeah. But no, I'd go yeah, for so that, that's King of Comedy. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's a measure of what a good... I mean, newsflash, everyone, you might not have heard this before, but Martin Scorsese is a good director. Um, that's where we've arrived. Um, that's our stunning insight. Breaking yeah, it's hard news! To, it's it's hard, to, hard to pick one good film of his because he's done so many good ones. Yeah, so I mean, I think, yeah, Scor- Scorsese's sort of, yeah, l- l- less debate on him. What, what did you want to go next? The well, people we got one. left are Tar- Tarantino, Spielberg. Should he Tarantino? Oh, he's got, he's got, he's probably got. After Coppola, he's probably got the biggest stinker on this list. So, what what would you say is his worst film? There's three, and I think you know the three. It's Death Proof, One and Two. Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've gone for it. Yeah, they're, they're, those are the ones I would have guessed. Are those um, the three, or you're counting Kill Bill as one? Oh, I don't fucking care. It's all shit. It's mm. it's. Um, I'd probably go for Death Proof, but I, I don't know. The problem is, is that I just listened to the Joe Rogan podcast recently. Now I know Joe Rogan's in the news for his his bizarre 
decision to take dewormer and the guy's a bit of a fruitcake but he has some really interesting guests and i really like tarantino so i listen to it and see when you hear tarantino talk about death proof and killable he did go to so much effort to make those films have some good sequences in them like the fight scenes in killable are very good it's just it's a bit shit if you know what i mean if you get where i'm coming from mm-hmm. it's it's still got some really nice aesthetic to it and death yeah, yeah. proof when he talks about that first sequence on the on the car um, maybe not the first sequence, but it's the scene with Zoe, is it Zoe Bell. Yeah. And she's on the front of the car. Um, we talked about how fucking dangerous that was. And he, he, like, he nearly killed her in that film. And you talk about the effort that went to it. It kind of makes you sad that he's so passionate. And the guy is obviously a massive movie nerd that he managed to make such, not an arse of it, but just a film that wasn't as good as we know he can be. Yeah. Because he, well, he, yeah, that's, that, that's the thing with, with Tarantino. If you're going to talk about different directors and their, um, They'll they'll have a tendency that 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 if you if you leave them entirely to their own devices, they'll go too far in one direction and get overindulgent. When Tarantino gets overindulgent in his love of old grindhouse films, that's what you get. And you know, I think he has you know on his best day, he he, he his balance between his love of those kind of films and those little references and actually delivering a, a film that works. He has very few people who can touch him, but when he just sits there wanking himself off, you get death proof. Yeah. I just don't know what wrong with it because we can, we've seen how he can, he, uh, for, I think the, what's the, the best thing about once upon a time in Hollywood is that that film is two hours and 30 minutes of fuck all really happening. And then the final 50 minutes are absolute chaos, but I still really enjoy the other two and a half hours. Cause, Cause he created was, a world. He created a it world. Was really and good. It was good. Performance. There's still a story there about Leonardo DiCaprio's character, you yeah, know, exactly. and what's happening to him and what's happening to Brad and the, the, the through line of, um, uh, Sharon Tate, you know, and it, it takes great skill. It's like, it's like some of these continental directors where they, where they make these films at a really sort of languid pace and they don't feel the need to have a huge event every 10 minutes but they're so good that they pull it off. And I think Tarantino showed an immense skill in making that film and making it. And I was like, do you remember we talked about it after we'd watched it? I mean, we watched it together, didn't we? Yeah. And afterwards I went, look, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure I'd want to watch it again. And then I thought about it afterwards and I got the film on, on Blu-ray for Christmas and I watched it again. And I think you've watched it again since. And I've, uh, I, I, I appreciate it even more. And I actually think it's a terrific film. Yeah. I think he's done a, I think he's done a lovely job of that. And that, that's that that's that's where Tarantino's love of those old movies and old TV shows and his ability to make a really good film have kind of combined. But I think that's what makes me hate Kill Bill and um, what's the other one, Death Death Proof, even Death more Proof, because yeah. he managed to make a film that didn't have to have all these stupid explosions and car chases and didn't have to destroy every Dodge Charger in the West Coast and he didn't need to have every fucking martial arts stunt performer in the fight scenes in Kill Bill, you know, he can make films that don't have to be so ridiculous. And I just felt like Kill Bill 1 and 2 and Death Proof were just absurd. Do you, do you and know not he like does abs- a better job? Sorry, go ahead, mate. And not like absurd, like in Inglorious Bastards, where they shoot Hitler's face and it's clearly like a plasticine dummy. Or, you know, the, the nuts and ridiculous gore at the end of Django Unchained, stuff like that, where it's it's it is kind of they're going off oh, for fuck's sake, and you but you're enjoying it. It just it wasn't. It, it just I, I think in the context of the film, those those scenes work. That's the difference. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know who does this sort of thing better? And that's Steven Soderbergh. And although some of his films are a bit uneven, and I look through at some of the films he's made and gone, oh, I'm not too bothered about that. But if he wants to make a film that's like a real kind of 
like a genre picture that's a bit trashy and he's not going to do sex lives and videotape this time time he's not going to do contagion this time he just wants to he just wants to have fun making a real kind of trashy genre picture he does it he gets it done he moves on to the next thing whereas tarantino has this decade of his career where he was just poncing around and 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 what he does in death proof is at the expense of a good film because you have this whole bit at the beginning where he goes, oh, I remember when I went to ground, Grindhouse films and they would have these gratuitous scenes at the, at the beginning and the, the film stock would crackle a little bit and then there'd be this bit, there's this bit where a girl's walking in and out of an apartment and, and in a in a negligee and, and it's all extraneous. Then he gets to the main story. It's like, that's great, Quentin. You've, you've done this little recreation of how much fun you had going to those cinemas when you were, when you were a teenager. As a film fan, I, you know, you know, I'm not interested. Show me the movie, and and I think I have to say I had no patience for Death Proof because I've been so disappointed by Kill Bill. But I just think it's like, yeah, it's a. It, also, I think the story in Death Proof is broken back because it there's this middle point where I don't I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's a big event, a big crash, a big chase where the kind of the antagonist does something, and then there's a second half where a completely new cast of characters deal with the same antagonist. It's like, I just, it just, I, d- I just don't think it works as a movie and he'll go and he'll, he'll, of course he's passionate about it and he's a very skilled filmmaker and he looks back at it and goes that he was trying to recreate. Well, great. You recreated it, mate, but it was shite. I'm, I'm, in, in a way I'm more disappointed with Kill Bill because that took seven years of his career and again was just a waste of his time and resources. It was wank. Notwithstanding, there are some amazing scenes in Kill Bill. The fight where Uma Thurman is fighting the the, the Japanese young Japanese girl who kind of dressed as a schoolgirl, was flinging that big mace around. That's a phenomenal fight scene. But it's like, you know, let's stop and have a little spaghetti western style interlude. Let's stop and have a little manga interlude. Let's put in all of like the old actors that that uh, Tarantino likes and. Even though it doesn't work one bit for a revenge story, let's do all the the, the scenes out of sequence. It's like it's just irritating. Um, and I think what he could have done was he could have got Kill Bill out of the way, done it properly, uh, made one film, got it done in a couple of years, done some B movie style death proof style story, but actually make it work the way Roger Corman made um, his his like directors like look beginning middle end ninety minutes do you know what I mean it's got to be a car chase it's got to be a couple of deaths it's got to be a you know a, a, a scantily clad woman and as long as it as long as it works you're done but that's ten years of of his career and it really did feel like the emperor's new clothes with Tarantino yeah and the, the, what's saving grace about Tarantino is that he had that shit spell and then since then he's made good film after good film after good film thankfully yeah. he's come back yeah not, not notwithstanding that I, hateful eight felt a little bit like um it, it was good but i didn't love it i quite I mean? I, yeah i i didn't love it but i still thought it was great it was another yeah, it, was it was very good it was very good i mean the tension that it builds up in that film is, yeah. is immense yeah so i mean i would agree i mean it tarantino that that's more it's accentuated by the fact that he's so good and for a 10 10 years it did feel like his talent was going to waste yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in the same place with those two films. Um, favorite Tarantino film? Um, I know yours. I I'm quite undecided. I I probably go for Django Unchained. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you think Inglorious, don't you? You sort of waver between. I do waver between those two. That because uh, Inglorious was the first one I saw, and Inglorious is fucking great. That scene in the fucking tavern is class. Mm. I don't know. You hated that scene in the tavern to begin with, but now yet yeah, you've watched it a few times. I'm pretty sure you like it now. It's just it, oh, I you know you know what I feel about about Inglorious Inglorious is I like all the scenes in the film, 
um, there are some things that, that I find a little bit frustrating about the way he tells the story. Although Tarantino did actually say in interviews, says, look, I don't make the film you, you want. I make the film I'm going to make. If you're expecting something else, there's nothing I can do about that, which is a completely fair comment. And I think Inglorious still works as a film. It was a massive return to form. I just felt that there were a, there were a few too many scenes of people just sitting around talking. And I know Tarantino, people sitting at a table, he's turned that elevated into it and that to an art form. So that's a small criticism. But there were, there, he, he sort of, he'd introduce a character and then they get killed in the next scene, which felt a bit, you know, again, I, I'm nitpicking what I, what I overall feel is a very good film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were, there were elements of the story, like the assembly of the, um, of, of his, um, of, you know, Brad Pitt's kind of vengeful team. I, I, I just, I just felt like there were bits that he left out of the story that I'd rather he told instead of what we got. Yeah. Um, but I again, but mean. again, Tarantino's got to make the film he wants to make. I totally get it. And it was still good. The only thing I really don't like in that film is Eli Roth. He's not even that bad. He's actually, if I feel like if Tarantino wasn't directing him. It just irritates me. Yeah, <laughs> it just yeah. irritates me on if a personal Tarantino level. If Tarantino wasn't directing him and hadn't written that character, it would have been shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it is yeah. Eli Roth. Um, yeah. So for me, I mean, my favourite Tarantino film is Jackie Brown, hands down. Love that film. I think that's, uh, you know, one of my favourite films of all time. It's just got everything I love about Tarantino wrapped up in one film. Um, but yeah, again, I think we've talked about Tarantino on the basis of he is so good and it just it sticks out like a sore thumb when he does something that isn't very good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay, so that's the Tarantino taken care of. Um, go on, you pick. Who do you want to do next? We, we've got Spielberg, Ridley Scott, and Christopher Nolan left. Uh, ooh, let's go for Nolan. Christopher Nolan. So this is an interesting one. I think before Dunkirk came out, I'm sure you and I had a conversation we we, that essentially said Christopher Nolan had never made a bad film. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't have been talking about. We would, he wouldn't be on this list. He would have been in the Fincher category. Yeah. And I would preface this and any conversation about people's least favorite Nolan films is that he is, he's in his last two films, he's gone off on a bit of an exploration and he's trying to do certain things that other filmmakers have done from time to time. Hitchcock did it, Kubrick did it. And what it means is, is that he's going to go and do something and, and he's so intent on doing, making a certain film a certain way that if you don't like that, it's going to put you back up. I'm not sure it's a loss of form with Nolan. It's just a case of this is what he's trying to do at this moment. And we'll see. If he carries on doing this, then then there'll be this kind of, I think for some people, they'll. I mean, I less so for me because I love Tenet, but there'll be this dividing line for some people that said, I liked Nolan until he started doing X. Do you know what I mean? But we'll just have to see what he does with his next film. But having said that, um, I think I can guess which your, well, I have a short list of what I think your least favourite Christopher Nolan film is going to be. Pick between his last two because they're both equally as shit as each other. Dunkirk and Tenet. They were fucking wank. You see, I, 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 I mean, I love Tenet, and we, you know, which which we discussed on the podcast. But I'm I'm fully aware of everyone's criticisms of it, um, and and it's strange because Dunkirk, Dunkirk is, is is an odd phenomenon because you and I were less keen on it. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people went, I oh, didn't like what he did with Interstellar and Dark Knight Rises was a bit weak. And what a return to form Dunkirk is. And Dunkirk was nominated for Best Picture. Was he? I think he may have been nominated for Best Director. Um, and it's kind of the, the, the Dunkirk left me a bit cold. It only got those nominations because it's about World War Two. But when you actually pick it apart and actually look at it, it's 
you know, we saw it in the grandest scale. You, we saw it on the biggest screen in Britain. We went yeah, to we IMAX saw it the BFI London. IMAX. We couldn't, Waterloo, have, yeah. we couldn't have seen it on a better screen with better sound. And I, I can't believe how underwhelmed. The best bit of the film is when they first, they were just walking through the kind of deserted streets of Dunkirk and you're like, okay, this is gripping you by the balls. And I've seen like reviews of it as that, you know, it, it grabs you by the balls for the next, like for 85 minutes and it's the shortest film, but it feels so long because, you know, you're just so stressed out. And the bit that, kind of defined it for me is that in the opening 10 minutes that there's well there's meant to be the fourth hundred thousand troops on the beach but he refused to use cgi so it looks not enough scale it looks like there's about 11 folk on the beach and the germans Mm. decide to go in for a bombing run and the main guy i can't remember his name is it like fion i don't know how to pronounce but it looks like it should be pronounced fion whitehead or finn whitehead yeah his character stands about four feet from a German bomb and doesn't die. And I went, he's not going to die in this film. And as soon as you do that, I have no interest in the film because yeah, he's got like the plot armor. I feel like he's, there is no threat to his life. And therefore I have no, I have no engagement with that character. I have no desire to see that character, you know, live or die. If you get what I'm saying? I have no, because you mm. think, as soon as he can survive that, he's going to survive anything. And he does. When you actually look at the film, the only person that dies is a kid from fucking, where, where is it? Plymouth? Uh, one uh, Folkestone or one of the one of the southern ports that yeah, they go over Brighton. on the boat. Yeah, ha- he's yeah. somewhere in Hampshire. That's the only person that dies in a fucking war film. Yeah, it's again. I I believe that Christopher Nolan has succeeded completely at what he was trying to do with Dunkirk, in the same way that he succeeded completely in what he was trying to do with um, Interstellar. And a lot of people don't like Interstellar. They think oh, everything pretty much from where. Um, they get to the other side of the black hole is a load of hogwash, uh, whereas I think it's brilliant. It's an absolutely stunning film. But, you know, it, I don't think Christopher Nolan looks back at Dunkirk and, and says, oh, I was trying to do this and I didn't quite achieve it. He was trying to do something where he doesn't use CGI, where it's a more low-key version of a war film, and he focuses on the things that he focuses on. But it left me cold, and, and you cold. It felt like there were only two planes in the air for the whole operation. It felt like there were only like 20 guys on the beach. And I felt like there maybe three boats came across from England. And I just don't, you know. We did the numbers, didn't we? And it was something yeah. ridiculous, like ridiculously small scale. And I don't know why he decided to do it. He's used CGI for nearly all of his films apart from maybe Memento? Yeah, it was, Memento. Well, which, he did, which he didn't have the money for, did he? But I mean, it's, it's like um, he, pro- he, pro- he probably didn't need much CGI for Insomnia either, but he probably used a little bit. For so since, since, here and since those films, he's probably had to use yeah, yeah. CGI and everything. Yeah. But he's tried to use but practical it, effects, which we've respected. But to, therefore, but to then do a film where you probably needed a bit of CGI, which we've seen his, you know, his production crew do very well. Mm-hmm. Incep- Inception still looks polished 10 years after, 11 years after it came out. Is it 10 yeah, he got he got the perfect balance of CGI and interstellar effects, which is why it hasn't dated. Yeah, so but this, this is it. the thing. Dunkirk was Dunkirk was like his dogme film. You know, like the dogme directors of like Denmark and Scandinavia, where they said, "Look, you know, we'll only make films within certain restrictions," and that that's what he did with Dunkirk, and I, I just left me cold. Um, it, it's it's funny because if you watch the film Atonement, which I otherwise really don't like, um, uh. The scenes on the beach are are actually really effective because there's this scene where you look across the beach and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers on the beach and it the situation looks hopeless. And without that scene, I just don't understand what film you're trying to make about Dunkirk.
Tenet, look, Tenet's clearly a matter of taste. That's his most Marmite film. Um, you know, we, we did Tenet in some detail. So you're sitting between Dunkirk and Tenet, and I'm sitting on Dunkirk, yeah? Um, yeah, mine's Tenet or Dunkirk. I yeah. enjoyed Tenet more for the performances. I just thought it was a bit lame and it was too clunky. You couldn't hear anything. But it was, I still had some more enjoyment than Dunkirk. Dunkirk just felt just yeah. absurd. Um, so I think it's that, that's where we've landed. I mean, the thing is, there are people who just don't like Christopher Nolan at all. They just don't like the stories he tells and the way, he's, the way he tells them um, because he's a very particular director. He, he's, he's got a specific thing he's trying to do on screen, you know? Yeah. But that's the way it is. So that's Nolan. Right, f- favourite Christopher Nolan film? Uh, Inception. Yeah, oh, I... Very I, closely by The Dark Knight. Actually, I, no, The Dark Knight. Actually, no Inception. No, The Dark Knight. <laughs> One of those two. <laughs> I find myself doing exactly the conversation you're having with yourself. I have with myself about Inception or Interstellar. Yeah, they were both. I mean, Interstellar is also very good. I've got Inception, Interstellar, and Dark Knight tattooed on me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. Did Did you ever get the 4K Blu-ray Blu-ray feature to work on your Xbox? By the way, I've not actually tried it since Christmas, so I can get. I'll give it a bash tonight. Yeah, they might have had just... a firmware update or something. I don't think it will. It's, the the problem was is that I could probably watch it in four K and it would look beautiful, but I'd have to wait till you know, you know, people weren't in the house. So, or because you know, what, what happens is is that it turns into a fucking jet engine. So if anyone's up, uh, you know, if any of my housemates are you know up first thing in the morning, it's it's just going to wake them up. So uh, uh, Christopher Nolan is challenging sound mixing. So what I can do is I can I can put the volume so it covers up the sound of the the Xbox and it'll be able to watch it. But I can't do that at eleven o'clock at night when I'm getting in from work sometimes. So can, I just need can to you find... Bluetooth it, Can you Bluetooth it into your headphones like you get, like noise noise cancelling headphones? Or I suppose I could do that, but that's not. I don't really want to watch it. You're like, when you're lying no, down, no, I, I, I'm I'm the same. I I don't. I feel like I want the sound to fill the room when I'm watching a film. Or when you're lying down on the sofa or in your bed, you don't want to have you know to adjust it because you've got big over mm-hmm. your headphones and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. I'll just find a day to watch it. I'm sure it yeah, does work. Yeah, yeah. There might be something yeah. I'm not doing right, but yeah. There might have been a firmware update on the on the Xbox since then as well. Sorry, listeners, we're having a little side conversation here, but uh, we'll re- we'll release this little bit as a bonus episode. The uh, James's troubles with four K eight four K Blu Ray, <laughs> just on the Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so that's Christopher Nolan. We are left with two directors whose track records and you know experience of good and bad films are quite different. Um, who would you like to go with in that next out of Spielberg or Ridley Scott? Um, let's go for Spielberg. Yeah, let's do Spielberg. Another director with, on the whole, a pretty damn good track record, obviously. Uh, yeah, um, and I would say he he's kind of, uh, unless you really don't like his films, he's probably up there with Scorsese in the sense that he dominated the 70s and, you know, the 80s and the 90s. Um, yeah, he's, he's 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 only had he had a little dip in form in the eighties. He tried he started trying to spread his wings and make slightly more serious films, but he hadn't he hadn't quite got the hang of it did yet. Do Raiders of the Lost ready. Ark? Yeah, it was it was basically he tried he did the Color Purple, which was really well received by a lot of people. But then you know a lot of Hollywood kind of felt that Spielberg should stay in his lane. Who, who, who you know we you know why why is he trying to do serious films in inverted commas? And then he did the same thing with Empire of the Sun, and he. he he didn't quite get it right. People wondered why you want to do a PG-rated version of life in a Japanese POW camp. Um, and, and he did a film called Always, which was a little dip in form. But apart from that, 
he's he's had this very very long and successful career and his you know every now and again he makes a film that that is perhaps drops below his high standards um, but you know to, again a tremendous track record on the whole it's a toss up between now there's a couple of films in his repertoire or in his collection that miss out only because there are a couple of absolute fucking stinkers so I, I'm going to get to the stinkers, but I'm going to name the honourable mentions that should be in the stinkers. I thought artificial intelligence was crap. Um, yeah, I went to see it at the cinema, didn't like it, although a lot of people have, over the years, said it, it deserves a reassessment. And I've not watched it since it came out. Um, I wonder if I will, you know, sometime and see if my opinions change, but I wasn't keen on that. So artificial intelligence, I thought, was rubbish. The second Jurassic Park film is rubbish. Mm. Um, War of the Worlds is also rubbish. Tintin, I thought, was rubbish. And I thought War Horse and Lincoln were rubbish. Um, Lincoln was just a big, slow, shitty film about the most interesting period possibly ever in history, in my opinion. Mm. Um, the BFG is also shit. Um, so those films are all very lucky that they're a bit fucking stinky and Spielberg's just kind of not got the, the knack for it. Yeah. I mean, you, this is a, a very similar list of my sort of less favorite Spielberg films, which, you know, I echo your criticisms of them. They didn't quite make my, my, my topic of, of, you know, very worst, if you see what I mean. So the two stinkers, um, in my opinion, are, did I, did I accidentally say one of the stinkers there? No, I didn't. So the two stinkers are Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull and yeah. Hook. Yeah. See, for me, Hook takes the cake, but Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. I don't, is- I, you know why? I, I think it might be Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull because considering only- that considering the legacy that it shat on. Yeah, that's the difference. The Peter Pan films, apart from the animated one, have all been shit. So there's not really a high standard to go up against, but when it comes to the Indiana Jones films, you know, Raiders, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade, barring the kind of slightly racist sidekick characters and the kind of depictions of, um, you know, ethnic minorities, I suppose it's not minorities when you're in those countries. A little bit questionable, but I suppose hopefully we've moved on since then. You'd hope Steven Spielberg's moved on since then. Yeah. I don't know. Hook, Hook was just a bit shit. It was a bit sentimental... And Dustin Hoffman's just not right for that character, in my opinion. Robin Williams, I, as we've said before, is a terrific actor, and he's also not up to speed. It just felt like the the components could have been there because you had a good, you had three talented actors there. I just, I just don't think it didn't work. But I think people look on that film with a bit more fondness, maybe because you were a kid when you watched it. I know you're you're probably a you're probably above the age bracket when that film kind of came out. Yeah, I mean, out. I wasn't the target audience for it when I watched it. I was like 19 yeah, when I saw it, so when I was I clearly it, not the target audience for Hook. I think I probably watched it when I was of maybe under 10 years old. So I probably... The right age. Probably the right age for it. I, I recognise now that it's, you know, it's it's a bit shit. Um, but, you know, Peter Pan stories are always... The, the films are never, you know, Oscar winners, but they're always, they're always usually good fun. And Hook's got some good fun in it. You know, it's it's a bit shit. But I still yeah. think it's got some fun moments in it. However, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Crystal Skull could have and should have been so much better. Um, just felt like 
Um, Harrison Ford wasn't interested in it, and you can tell by his performance, which baffles me that they've filmed a new one in Glasgow. Funnily enough, yeah, I don't. Know. Um, yeah, it, it it did feel like they'd kind of dragged Harrison Ford back to make the film. Um, the Ray Winstone as the sidekick slash antagonist trying to do an American accent is crap, yeah. and the whole aliens shit at the end is. So that it, it just it, it didn't work the way an Indiana Jones film was meant to work. I mean, to, you know, leave, leave aside those things that you know clunky and rubbish. I think I, I still don't think that the Soviets make quite as good uh, bad guys as the Nazis. I don't think the fifties is as good an era for um, uh, for adventure stories in in exotic locations uh, as the thirties did. Um, but the fundamental problem is is that Temple of Doom. Uh, Last Crusade, Lost Ark. You get a little a little hint at the beginning that Indiana Jones is going to go off and explore something, and his his interest is is archaeological. The people involved are going to be you know uh, there'll be a big plot, and at the end, the the real terrifying power of what he's been after gets revealed. And you kind of know that at the end, the Holy Grail is actually going to have some power. Do you know what I mean? That's not a spoiler. There's not going to be an Indiana Jones film where he goes searching for the Holy Grail and it's just a fucking cup, right? Um, so you know that. But they just take this massive left turn. Oh, it's aliens. When did he say it was fucking aliens? That's not, it's not an archaeologist's job to fucking search for aliens, you know, any more than it's his job to search for Bigfoot, you know? And it's just like, it's such a terrible, terrible fucking piece of writing. It's just really, fuck me. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I hated, I mean, I really hated Hook. And again, I think you watch a film like that when you're 19 or 20 and you're kind of going to be sneering at it a bit anyway. So maybe that's colored my opinion of it. But it felt like Spielberg and Hoffman and Robin Williams were all having some kind of fucking midlife crisis on screen and just really sort of delving into just the amount too much sentimentality that, that you know, for one human being to withstand. I also thought that the special effects didn't stack up and that the general way the film was, um, uh, sort of photographed. It all. It all looked like it was filmed at a theme park. Do you know what I mean? Just the aliens. It, it was just. The, the, yeah, uh, yeah. But the, the aliens at Crystal Skull is a bit. Yeah, I, I think. I think. Yeah, I think that that's where we're landing on that. That that's the way it goes. I mean, Spiel, Spielberg on the whole has just had this in, you know incredible career. And um, in, in terms of what other people said, uh, listeners, the nominations. A lot of them are similar. You know, War Horse people said. Someone said Jurassic Park. I'm not sure oh, they're being dear. serious. Or maybe they meant Jurassic Park 2 and it was a typo. That would be that would make more sense. Um, Crystal Skull, someone said. Someone said Ready Player One, uh, which, I ju- I, which I just thought was was pretty good. Uh, but I think, I, I think Ready Player One is, a, is just a factor of, for the last 20 years, pretty much, with a couple of exceptions, he tried something on AI and it didn't work. And he tried something really interesting with Munich, and I think it's really underrated. Apart from that, the way I'd describe, and, and obviously Crystal Skull was, was pants, on the whole, I would describe what Spielberg has been doing for the past 20 years is, is basically solid. Do you know what I mean? He hasn't really hit any of the heights like Saving Private Ryan or, or, or you know, Schindler's List or, or, or you know, Raiders or, or, or Jurassic Park, but he's just got a he's, – he's just generally solid. Do you know what I mean? And I thought Ready Player One was good. It took a lot of skill to make and everything. I just didn't find it all that inspiring, but I wouldn't have it on my list of, like, shit films or anything. No, I think since I'd say probably since Catch Me If You Can and then like The Terminal, those films aren't necessarily terrible. I think they're just films that Steven Spielberg like to make because they're kind of different and interesting stories, but they just don't have the kind of same impact and 
cinematic. He's not done anything in years that's like taken the top of your head off, like yeah, the opening scene to Raiders or the opening scene to yeah. Saving Private Ryan or the um, the uh, the the chase it's seen in um, in you know you know, the T Rex chase in Jurassic Park, you know, yeah. or so, just the overall immense you know sort of emotional impact of of, of Schindler's List. He's just you know. He's, he's, he's just good, solid, reliable. He's just been good, solid, and reliable. And then Munich was really good, very bleak film. Um, but yeah, that's the last time, in my opinion, he's taken any real creative risks. Um, yeah, that's a really risky film to make. I mean, it's still a risky but, film now. Yeah. So, but for when, some reason, when, that's when a risky Mick... film in Glasgow, which is <laughs> that's so, odd. It's how tense that situation is. Um, yeah, they, 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 the idea of sectarianism on the other side of the world is sort of it's like a day out for them, isn't it? <laughs> But uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, again, we're nit- we're nitpicking at a, at, a, at a stellar career a little bit, but I think yeah. genuinely, Hook and Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull are some of the films you list on there are would 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 rank as decent films by other director standards, but um, Crystal Skull and uh, I think uh, the difference and between Hook just really poor. The difference between Hook is that he made Hook okay, didn't land. Two years later, he made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same fucking year, so he still had that ability, whereas. Indiana Jones is also, you know, either side of War of the Worlds, Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln. You know what I mean? It's mm. in that kind of period of shit film. So I wonder if it's for you that Hook stands out a little bit more because mm-hmm. it's because it's yeah. Know, he made it in between Last Crusade and Jurassic Park and, and Schindler's <laughs> fucking list and Schindler's list. Yeah, um, and then after like, that he made Amistad and he made um, Saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. You know what I mean? Whereas. Indiana Jones, the King of Christmas Skull is surrounded by some potential stinkers. War of the World is oh. fucking shit. Yeah, it's not very good. Um, so, but I'd have to, I'd have to weigh in and say it's Indiana Jones just for the fucking yeah. aliens. Bit. Yeah, was, and I, I enjoyed yeah. Shia LaBeouf in that film, and I think that could have been an interesting dynamic to maybe pass over the mantle, pass, on, yeah, pass on the mantle, and they just yeah. didn't like because Shia LaBeouf isn't isn't going to be in this fifth one. I don't think. No. Um, so yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, it's got for me. It's that one. I don't know about you. I yeah, I mean, it's, ch- I don't know if I've managed to change your mind about it. If it's still hooked for you, but for me, it's definitely Indiana Jones. Yeah, I think you know maybe I, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on Hook and Crystal Skull was a really terrible cinematic experience. So maybe it is that. All right, fa- favorite Spielberg film. <sighs> Seven Program. Although it's hard to say it's my favorite, but it's the best one he's ever made. Um, yeah, I think I, we, I, we we do this all the time. You say favorite film. And then, which is probably a film that's weird to say is your favorite because it's a very bleak film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Similar. I mean, in terms. I mean, it's it's an absolutely iconic war film, and then I've got it. I would say it's definitely up there with his best. In terms of growing up and how defining it was, Raiders of the Lost Ark is is definitely up there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Saving Private. I mean, he's 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 had quite a varied career, and it's like Saving Saving Private Ryan and Raiders of the Lost Ark do quite different jobs, don't they, as films. Yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, he's look. He's made some absolutely classic. I mean, he's Jaws. We haven't even discussed Jaws. Oh, he's made Jaws. so many good films. Jaws. You know, what? I think in the, for the balance, I'm probably going to say Jaws. I yeah. Saving Private Ryan's his best film, in my opinion, um, because it's just it's harrowing and it's the only film that yeah I think properly tells the story of how disgusting World War Two was. But Jaws, that is, I think it's the. Know, it, it retains that, it retains its power every time you watch it. That's yeah, thing and I'm glad they haven't it. done a fucking reboot of it um, yeah. and try to you know have a CGI shark. Yeah, agreed.
So, we have one left, and that's Ridley Scott. What a can of worms this is going to be. Oh, man. Another frustrating of all, of all the people, I mean, he, he is uh, one of my absolute favorite directors. I, I mean, I'm a p- big fan of him. You know, the fact that he's from the northeast of England as well gives me an extra sort of affection for him. Um, and at his best, he has, you know, few equals with, uh, you know, Alien and Blade Runner and his other kind of great films. He has made some bloody stinkers over the years. What would you what would you put down as, as his worst if you were going to nom- if, to nominate one? Well, I've not seen it. I've not seen the one that I know you're going to see. So the ones I've seen, uh, that Robin Hood film is shit, wasn't it? Hmm. Um, like really shit. Um, oh. It's really hard to pick because I want to say Robin Hood, but I feel like I'm I'm missing one. I mean, among the films that people have said are his worst, the, the, the listener messages include Prometheus, Alien Covenant, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Um, there's also... Um, oh, Exodus, Gods and Kings is really shit. Oh, dear. Uh, I mean, G.I. G. Jane gets a bad rap and it isn't very good. Um, legend, a lot of people don't think it's very good. A good year is quite, really quite shit. Oh. It's, it's such an, this is the thing, he's, he's the most up and down director that we've got on this list because I, he's, sorry, for someone who can do films that are genuine contenders for greatest film of all time, some of the films that he's got on, on his CV are, are quite staggering. That hand I mean, if he, if, he, if he was if he was a footballer, he would be, you know, one of those kind of you know frustratingly inconsistent players that, you know, that that where you know debates rage long into night about whether they should be picked for the England team. You know, get so gifted and yet fuck me, what's he doing sometimes? Uh, prime example, he's like Hatem Ben Arfa. Hatem Ben Arfa could do something yeah. in the football that can impregnate your wife, but he was also yeah. a fat lazy bastard, and you don't know how they managed. He managed to sign for PSG. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that that fucking um, Hannibal film was shit. I thought it was terrible. It was uh, terrible. Fourteen ninety two was also shit. See, I'm a big defender of fourteen ninety two. I think it's much better than anybody anybody recognises. I think it's actually a pretty good film. Um, but I know a lot of people just don't like it at all. I've not seen it, so I'm going to trust your judgment. And I'll, I don't know. I'm going to have to pick Exodus, Gods and Kings because that was very shit. It was just yeah. a lot of Christian Bale shouting. Um, yeah, I mean the the, ca- the counselor takes the cake for me because I've not seen it. That. Oh. It was just hateful from beginning to end. It, it took it took a storyline which has no you know no reason why this can't be a good storyline. A lawyer who is of sort of dubious morality, he's prepared to kind of break a few rules if it's going to make him rich. Agrees to get involved in some business deals and represent some uh, some dodgy you know cartel characters and actually get involved in actually some of the criminal side of things. But it goes wrong. And when you fall far of the cartel, horrible things happen. Uh, you can get embroiled in a, in a really sick, dangerous world and, and things can go horribly wrong for you. So does that sound like a f- I mean, I've seen films based on that storyline, which are good. Do you know what I mean? There are TV shows like um, uh, Breaking Bad, which are, uh, you know, in, in, in that vein, you know, a person who should be of a respectable character getting embroiled in, in drug and drugs and crime world. Um, Ozark TV show, similar. There's, no, there's a basic storyline. It's got all the ingredients you need to be very good, and it's just grimly shit from beginning to end. And it's 
it's based on a screenplay by Cormac McCarthy, who who did uh, the, the the book The Road that they made a film out of, and um, uh, I think Ridley Scott wanted to do Blood Meridian, which is considered his greatest novel, but it's basically unfilmable. So we got Cormac McCarthy to write a screenplay, and it's just so full of its own importance and just desperately, desperately dismal from beginning to end. And I just, oh, it's. Awful. I mean, Ridley Scott's a big defender of the film. He says people, you know, people misunderstood the film, um, and he defends it. He thinks he did a good job, but Ridley Scott just gets it wrong sometimes. He he's not the best judge of a script. He's not the best judge of of what film to do. Um, sometimes he says, "I'm going to do a story about this," and he picks a bad script or uh, you know something that doesn't quite work. Um, some of his films haven't worked very well because he's um, he's he's allowed his arm to be twisted. Like Prometheus, he wanted to do something different, and the studio wanted him to do another alien film, and, and the resulting compromise resulted in a poor film. Um, but sometimes he just he has good days and bad days, and on on his worst day, he makes some fucking terrible films. And yet, his films can really hit the heights. And and so, yeah. speaking of which, what, what's your favorite Ridley Scott film? Oh, Glad here. Yeah, uh, for me, it's for me, it's Blade Runner. No, I knew it would be Final Blade Runner, Cut. But it's, uh... But Gladiator was amazing. I, you know, I went to see that at the cinema when it came out, and it was a, it was an absolutely stonking experience. And you know, on his best days, he's done some amazing films. You know, The, the Duelists, Alien, Blade Runner, Black Rain, Thelma and Louise, American Gangster, Matchstick Men, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down is a fucking tremendous film. The Martian's really good. I'm looking forward to the two films that he's, you know, he's bringing out now. Uh, so amazing on his day. Blade Runner was his best day for me. Um, uh, and Gladiator is his best day for you. Yeah, no, I absolutely love Gladiator. I think it's just, I know I'm a bit of a, you know, a history nerd, but I'm allowed, I will forego it if the film is good enough. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, just re- recreating the Colosseum in ancient Rome in that way. I mean, and the the idea of, a, I mean, you've been to the Colosseum in real life and actually seeing the Colosseum with a crowd, a baying crowd, do you know what I mean? Makes a, you know, just, mm, it's a hell of an experience just, when you watch it. It's just great. You know, you, I, it's just great from start to finish. It's I think it might be one of the most perfect films ever. It's uh, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, for you know, for what what for what it does, I mean, people will 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 have criticisms of some of the you know the, the shortcuts it took in the actual history, but in in, in, in a, telling an you know an exciting story the way it did in bringing ancient Rome to life, it has few equals. Um, so that that's our you know handpicked list of of best directors and what we think are their worst films. And I think what it tells you is that everyone has an off day. Uh, some directors have a tendency to dig too far or or indulge certain aspects of their of their filmmaking too much, and it and it can have disastrous effects. Some directors are just wildly inconsistent. Um, I, I think sometimes you know it's a case of it's this is almost like a, a bit of a confessional. It's like. Uh, you know these these directors come in, sit in the confession confession booth, and pull back the window, and you know we look at their worst films. And at the end of it, you still forgive them because it's it's important to remember that these directors have made some of the greatest films of all time as well. I mean, I think if I were to pick my ten favorite films of all time, all of these guys would probably have something on that list. You know, yeah. But uh, I've got I've got some additional ones that I think are interesting sort of angles to take on on directors that we didn't mention, but listeners wrote in. Uh, with some of their their nominations for films that I thought were worth mentioning, Alfred Hitchcock got a mention, um, which I just didn't think we'd mention. You know, do because I, I mean, even I haven't seen. I've maybe seen half of his films, and you know, I just don't think he can be representative. But some people said Juno and the Paycock, Family Plot, Frenzy, 
which is weird on that family plots his last film and he was on his last legs it seems a bit you know yeah probably is his word his weakest film for that reason Juno and the Paycock was the first film he made with sound and there were a lot of shonky films were made when they were first getting the hang of sound you know what I mean so that seems a bit harsh on him uh, Mike Nichols someone said regarding Henry Mike Nichols I'm not sure if you're aware of him James is director of The Graduate and films like that oh um, yeah Steven Soderbergh uh, Schizopolis was nominated his worst film uh, David Lean the nomination was Ryan's Daughter Probably. I'm not keen on pas- Passage to India. Um, the Coen Brothers, uh, Lady Killers or Intolerable Cruelty with a shortlist. I think I come down on Lady Killers there. Yeah, Lady Killers was fucking rubbish. Yeah, I think we've I think we've provided the definitive assessment of why that's a shit film on a previous episode. Look it up, folks. Uh, Barry Levinson, Toys. Uh, David Fincher had a couple of nominations, and we've already talked about that. I mean, even on his worst day, <clears throat> he makes a good film. Uh, Mank and Panic Room were his nominations. I haven't seen Mank yet. Mank. Um, I, mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I'm. I imagine some people just aren't keen on that because it's entirely about the film industry, and some people just don't like that kind of film. They find it too self-referential. But um, I'd be amazed if that's a really shit film because you know. It, um, and Panic Room. Panic Room's a perfectly decent thriller. It's a good thriller it's an exciting well-made film and if that's if that's david finch's worst worst film then he is he is having a hell of a good career wes anderson got nominated darjeeling limited fucking all of his films they're all fucking shit you'd have an easier time time picking his best film none of these fuck off he he really he you know what he is the most marmite film director that we've ever discussed people either love him or like marmite (laughs) <laughs> he's like picking someone to fucking punch your mum in the throat he's a <laughs> fucking shit director his films are shit and they're liked by fucking indie freak shows who haven't had enough cuddles from their mummy sorry I know you like Wes Anderson <laughs> well that's um. you can tell James is not a fan of Wes fucking Anderson slimy long haired fucking prick can't believe I watched Grand Budapest Hotel <laughs> makes me physically makes me want to physically hurt Wes Anderson for having so- the audacity to make such shit films. Okay. Well, let, let's move on before you start, you know, trashing the furniture. Um, Clint Eastwood got some nominations. Absolute Power was one. The Rookie was another. Um, Clint Eastwood's a bit funny because it's almost like his serious film career, you know, uh, sort of started at a certain point. And prior to that, he would he would direct a lot of the films he was in. And some of those films are shit. I mean, The Rookie's just a crap film. It doesn't matter who directs it. Um, Absolute Power's not very good either. Um, Kubrick got a couple of nominations, Eyes Wide Shut and Fear and Desire. Now, I, ha- I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut. I do plan to, but I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. And uh, Fear and Desire was his first film. It's almost a student film. Um, and I, I, I always I always hesitate to have a go at a director's debut when they've got £2.50 and are just trying to kind of make their mark. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what are they supposed to do? And, um, you know, so you know, leave that alone. I, mean, I don't know what your least favourite Kubrick film is. Um... You know what? I really liked the first hour of Full Metal Jacket and hated the last hour of it. I've liked the rest of his stuff, but the last hour of Full Metal Jacket is shit. I really it's a real like game it. of two halves, isn't it? I mean, t- people do make that argument about Full Metal Jacket that it that uh, it, it could have made uh, an amazing film that stopped at the end of Basic Training, and that yeah. could have been his statement. You know, totally. Um, yeah. James Cameron is on the list, and his oh. nominations are Avatar and Piranha 2, Flying Killers. Um, 
See, I'm, I'm going to give Piranha 2 uh, uh, a pass because he was just starting out. It was his chance to direct a film, and it's a sequel to Piranha. I think expectations ought to be suitably low on that. As far as Avatar is concerned, I thought it was very well made for what it was, but I, I, it's not really that memorable uh, looking back. Titanic yeah. is my my least favorite of his films. I, I think Titanic is crap. Really? Yeah, I don't like Titanic at all. No. See, I don't know, because Ghost of the Abyss was kind of shit. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of didn't really look at his kind of non, um, like his non-feature films, basically. Yeah, I think it's unfair to put Avatar on that list. Um, yeah, I mean, I I mean, I don't agree with the person who said Avatar. I mean, I think Avatar worked very well for what it was. I just think, you know, look looking back, it hasn't had the same kind of cultural impact as something like Aliens or The Terminator, but it's still a very good film, really. I think Titanic's all right. It's okay. I think it's. I think I don't know. Why do you hate it? I just don't understand why you would make a three-hour chick flick about. Um, a young girl can't decide whether to marry the the sensible rich guy or the or the handsome young artist she's met, and and just where the, the actual sinking of the Titanic is treated as a sort of um, annoying um, uh, uh, di- you know diversion to the main story of, uh, of of the silly little romance. I just you know I, I just find it a bit kind of stupid and sentimental. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. I suppose um, again. Bad. I mean, you, you're, talk, you're talking about a film which is actually quite decent. And if and if Devika, sorry, if my wife insisted on watching it, um, we'd stick it on. And, and I'm sure I wouldn't. I'm sure I wouldn't mind it, and I wouldn't hate it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. We're talking about a film director who has made very, very few bad films. Unfortunately, he's not made many films in, in the past kind of twenty five years. I think we're about to get our faces punched in with Avatar, though. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's going to drop about three or four of those on us, isn't he? Well, yeah, it's four. It's up to Avatar five. Um, yeah. def- it's, it's either going to go very well or it's going to go very yeah. badly. But Titanic, I don't know. I mean, I can understand. Which, like, if, if you were going to pick a worst David Cameron film, which, uh, James David sorry, Cameron worst, film. Worst, if you were going to pick a worst James Cameron film, what would you what would you choose? There's a David Cameron sex tape out there that I'd fucking hate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but basically the first episode of um, of Black Mirror. <laughs> um, James Cameron, I don't know. Um, I feel like because he's not directed many films, I really didn't like that Alita Battle Angel, which he didn't direct, but he wrote the screenplay for, and it's, mm. that's pretty crap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a weird director to pick. Cause he's not actually, you're right, he's not made any films. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's basically had a, a tremendous run all the way up, really, until True Lies, which is you know perfectly fine. Just you know, it's, an, it's a, a fun action film. And since then, he's he's done Titanic, and then that's nineteen ninety seven, and he's released one feature film since then that he's directed. Uh, so if 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 you almost you know he's he's on the whole made made very good film films. Yeah, I think the problem with Titanic is that it won loads of Oscars that it probably shouldn't have, and it made a lot of money. And you're probably wondering why it was the highest grossing film for twelve years until he released another film. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's where we are. I mean, I thought I thought we'd have a look at some of what the you know our listeners kind of said. You know, it's and, and I think it, I think it's consistent with what we said is that there'll be great directors who who have off days, and sometimes it tells you a little bit about you know what that what those directors kind of little flaws are. 
so, so that's where we are in that conversation. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited in Audacity and hosted on Anchor FM. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Troll Hunter is included in the Shudder subscription via Amazon or to rent on Apple TV. For all those retro hipsters out there, it's also available to buy on Blu-ray. Information on Michael Mann's Gates of Fire is available in a number of online articles or you can buy the original novel, which is worth a read. Outside of Double Reel, keep an eye out for announcements for a new non-film related podcast we plan to release in the future. So this is me, James Adamson signing off and... This is me, James Adamson signing off. Your next podcast episode will be our regular episode 18 next month. Keep an eye on the socials for any bonus or special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. And if anyone needs a traffic cone from Perth and Kinross Council, I know a guy. I was just, I was, I was noising up the bounce. I didn't get ID'd, but I was like, I was noising up the bounce. I was like, you're not going to ask for my ID. I too, right? I'm 65 million years old. But anyway.